0: Welcome to the weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke, all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. It's episode seven of the weekly Wedfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you as we head into the start of summer. Heck yeah. It's graduation season, so I'm sure many people are busy making a lot of plans, buying gifts, going to barbecues, attending parties. All the leagues and their mothers having their drafts around this time of year. So it's still a fun time to be a sports fan, even if uh, your team isn't in the NBA finals right now, or you're just a college team waiting on stuff to get going. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's still a great time of the year. If you're a football fan or basketball fan, you got optimism. Teams are looking different and trying to get better. That includes the Ducks. And there was a ton that happened this past week. So let's dive right in. We started baseball because, well, the MLB first-year player draft happened last week, so I'll tell you which Ducks went where. Also, there was finally a week for the men's basketball team where they didn't get any bad news. That's right. I I thought I was in the twilight zone for a bit, but no, it's true. In fact, they got some really good news. There are also some recruiting notes to pass along as well, Uh, really just kind of some housekeeping items to take care of Uh, flipping to the football side of things. It wasn't such great news that Mario Cristobal and the coaching staff received this week, but I'll tell you why it doesn't affect Oregon's football team so much. And you can actually start to make some plans for football season right now. As we look at the four games that start times have been released for, for the 2019 season some fun stuff. And as always, we wrap up the show with this week in Ducks history. 44 years ago this week, Oregon and the world lost one of the greatest athletes of all time. So it's only fitting that we take a couple of minutes and celebrate his many accomplishments. And also, I just still want to mention if you have any ideas for topics, hit me up on Twitter on the Air Jordan with an O, let me know If you have any burning Ducks questions that you want answers to, I'm I'm a hardcore fan, just like you listeners, and I won't stop digging into something until I find an answer. I'm curious, and I just want the Ducks to do well. One more time, Twitter on the Air Jordan with an O. All right, Ducks fans, episode seven of the weekly Webfoot review, let's get to it. We start in a spot that we haven't really talked much until last week uh, with George Horton stepping down, the manager of Ducks Baseball. That's right. We'll start in Ducks Baseball. Now, before we take a look at all the Ducks taken by MLB teams in the first year player draft, I would be remiss if I didn't congratulate Adley Rushman, catcher from OSU and Sherwood High School, taken number one overall by the Baltimore Orioles. He's the front runner to win the golden spikes Award. That's the nation's best collegiate player in baseball and followed last year's amazing college world series win with the Beavers by batting four 11 this year, blasting 17 bombs and not to mention scouts loving his elite plate discipline. And it looks like Baltimore is going to use Adley as the centerpiece for their rebuild. That is really cool to see the Orioles putting all their chips in on a kid from OSU. And I'm so excited to see how quickly he gets to the majors. I mean, everybody, if you do follow baseball kind of reminds me of a situation about maybe 15 years ago, uh, maybe a little less when the Baltimore Orioles took Matt Wieters in the MLB draft and centered around him trying to build him up. So Pretty cool. He ended up having a nice long career, really, really uh, played well for the Baltimore Orioles over uh, quite a few years before going over to the Washington Nationals. So I hope Adley has a better career. Really excited to see him and what he can do for the Orioles. Okay, though, (laughs) enough props for the Ducks freaking rivals. Let's take a look at where all the University of Oregon players went in this year's. First year MLB draft. So topping off the list, it is pitcher Ryan Nelson. He was taken in the second round 56th overall by the Arizona diamondbacks. He was an infielder for two years, but got a lot of strength and that translates well to the mound because he can touch the upper nineties actually has been up near 99, uh, at times. And apparently has a knee buckling curve. I I've seen the fastball. I haven't really seen the curveball from him, but that sounds like a pretty potent combination for MLB teams. And especially after becoming an infield or uh, being an infielder and then transitioning to a pitcher in the middle of his college career, this is still kind of the time where if you've got a lot of strength, like Ryan Nelson does, it's not the worst idea to maybe switch positions and lean on your arm or that certain part of your body, it, a lot of guys that are playing shortstop end up switching to different positions in college. And it's pretty crazy to see him go this high to the Arizona diamondbacks. Uh, the all pack 12 honoree went three and four a four two, nine ERA in 23 appearances split between four starts. And then also had four saves uh, had a conference best 104 strikeouts this year. Looks like he held opponents to a 2.39 average over 65 innings for the Ducks this season. What a crazy year for Ryan Nelson! Understand why he went so high. 14 and a half strikeouts per nine innings led the Pac-12, and that was fourth nationally. Overall, in his Oregon career, Ryan Nelson went six and six with a 4.25 ERA, eight saves, and struck out 158 batters over 101.2 innings command is his biggest challenge right now, but most teams see him as a reliever. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the diamondbacks get him up to the majors fairly quickly. It sounds like that this guy's arm is what teams in the show are looking for. And they'll definitely spend a little bit of time trying to develop that command, get some coaches in, in the minor leagues, certain guys to work with him and see if he can improve, maybe change his arm slot a bit. Who knows? And Oregon fans, might, uh, we'll see where he gets assigned. They might get a couple of more chances to see him up close and personal. If he ever gets to play with the Hillsboro hops, that's right. They're the single a, well, the short season, single a affiliate of the Arizona diamondbacks. Pretty cool. All right. So the second duck taken in the MLB draft the, this past week, shortstop Spencer steer third round 90th overall by the Minnesota twins. He was the highest selection by an Oregon position player since the sport actually returned to Eugene in 2009. Steer hit a team high 349, 13 doubles, six home runs, 57 ribbies, and a 456 on base percentage, 502 slugging. And of course, with those numbers, he's an obvious all Pac 12 selection, as well as being named to the conference's all defensive team. So he's got all the tools, and the Twins must like what they see getting him 90th overall. That's pretty cool. I mean, it got a little pop there with the metal bats. Yeah, that might disappear in the majors. We'll see how his swing translates, but he obviously can get on base. He's got some speed and he's got a glove. Wouldn't be surprised with the twins in their situation. Uh, They're moving guys around right now, trying to find a combination that works, uh, especially in their infield. So I wouldn't be surprised if steer was in the majors by, I don't know, maybe 2021 or less. That's a pretty high draft pick third round. They're thinking that they're going to do pretty well uh, with this kid looking at him so early. And uh, and the twins must like what's in the water. in Eugene steer is the fourth duck drafted by Minnesota. And I should have mentioned that uh, Ryan Nelson was the sixth overall duck drafted, uh, by the Arizona Diamondbacks. So pretty cool to see a lot of ducks, uh, since the program has returned going in the MLB draft in such a short amount of time, it's only been 10 years. I mean, seriously, think about that 10 years. And this year, these five guys that I'm talking about one, two, three, four, five going in the MLB draft. Pretty cool. Third duck taken was catcher Jacob Goldfarb. Uh, this They had to wait a long time for their next duck to be selected. 24th round, 710th selection overall by the Chicago White Sox. Goldfarb was an outfielder his first three seasons at Oregon, uh, then actually switched to catching as a senior and caught 10 games. So in four years total at Oregon, he batted 281 with 11 home runs and 74 RBIs. That was in 183 games. He had 21 stolen bases. Check that out. A catcher with speed and set the school record with 14 outfield assists. Hopefully if he does play in the majors, he gets to play a little bit of outfield as well because that speed when you're a catcher, I know that no one cares that you're supposed to like just call a good game. They don't really care about your speed or your offensive ability if you're a catcher, but I find that so bogus. I think especially the way that kids are growing up today and trying to take care of their bodies and trying to get as ripped as they can. It just doesn't strike me as normal that you can't have speed or you can't be a great hitter as a catcher. And you see more and more good hitters that are catchers. I understand squatting down is going to ruin your legs, but come on, guys, a young kid. Hopefully he doesn't ruin his legs. 21 stolen bases and a school record with 14 outfield assists. Uh, His selection is the third straight season. The Ducks have had a catcher drafted and he is the first duck drafted since the program returned to Oregon in 2009 by the Chicago White Sox. So the White Sox uh, dipping into some new territory there. All right, fourth selection for the Oregon Ducks in the MLB draft was outfielder Johnny DeLuca. He was taken in the 25th round, 761st overall by the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, he hit 239, 11 doubles five home runs, 40 RBIs, and uh, 319 on base percentage in 56 games for the Ducks just this year. Sounds like some decent numbers, but yeah, 240. I understand why he was drafted in the 25th round. Uh, He does have the option of coming back to Oregon, though. In fact, Goldfarb, DeLuca, and uh, the last Duck, Kenyon Yovan, that was drafted, uh, who I'm talking about next, they all have a a chance to go back to Oregon uh, by the middle of next month. So we'll see what happens uh, regarding their futures. But uh Johnny DeLuca, he is the sixth different Oregon outfielder drafted since 2012 and the third duck drafted by the Dodgers. He was actually already taken in the 39th round of the 2017 MLB draft by the Minnesota Twins. So let's see he moved up 14 rounds in a couple of years. I don't know, kid. <laughs> I'm not really a baseball scout, but come back to Oregon, see if another year can increase your draft stock any more than it already has. All right, in the final duck taken this year in the MLB first-year player draft, pitcher Kenyon Yovan, twenty-seventh round, eight hundred and eleventh overall by the Los Angeles Angels. Hey, <laughs> the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in California, next to Disneyland. How many times have they changed their name? That's just hilarious. Um, but anyways, he's playing for the Angels, the two-time All Pac-12 selection. Was one of the top college draft prospects entering the season, but uh, unfortunately suffered a hand injury in the season opener on February 15th and didn't return to the mound. Before that, as a freshman, went one and one, a one nine seven ERA, fifteen saves before going six and four with a two nine eighty ERA as a sophomore. So sounds like he's got a good arm and the ability to paint the edges of the strike zone, at least in college, uh, I would come back if I were him for a year and definitely increase his draft stock. Just because you were injured, and and before that, seeing such great numbers that he put up, he could probably come back as a senior and put some kind of stupid like zero point, you know, like nine one ERA to really set the scouts' minds in motion and get him drafted higher. So. The Ducks, uh, like I said, they have matched their all-time high with five current players taken this year. That was the same as back in 2016. Uh, Nelson and Steer, of course, indicated that they will sign a pro contract and skip their senior seasons at Oregon. While well, I just mentioned, uh, it looks like, well, you know what? Uh, I'm wrong about Jacob Goldfart. If it's only uh, DeLuca and Yovan that have until July 15th to decide whether they will turn pro and play for the Ducks next season. So a couple of decisions to make. We'll see if either of those kids decide to start their pro careers or we'll be back playing Oregon baseball next year. All right, let's switch gears to men's basketball. It's been a long offseason already for Dana Altman and uh, definitely one that's been full of ups and downs. As of right now, Oregon, (laughs) to set the scene for you, only has six scholarship players on the team for next year. Well, for what feels like the first time in like a month, I don't have any bad news to pass along to you, Duck fans. It's all good. It's all good coming out of Eugene this week, basketball-wise. After learning about the official return of Peyton Pritchard last week, yeah, we actually get more good news. Pritchard's former backcourt partner, Anthony Mathis, who is the top scorer for the New Mexico Lobos, announced that he will be transferring to Oregon while he was visiting campus this week. This was a pretty quick process for Mathis. He uh, immediately announced the ducks as the front runner for his services. When he entered the transfer portal. And a lot of people kind of saw the writing on the wall because he had said how much he really wanted to get back and play with Peyton Pritchard. And he's got this year as a graduate transfer of eligibility. So, He's taking advantage of it. He says he watched every duck game last season and feels like it would be a perfect fit. He averaged 14 and a half points, two rebounds, two assists per game, and set a program record at New Mexico, 106 made three pointers. And that was on 41 and a half percent shooting from deep. So that's going to translate well to Oregon's style of play. And Mathis should end up being the second option to score behind Peyton Pritchard. And sometimes the first option, I have a feeling this won't be the last graduate transfer that the ducks will get either. It's going to be a busy summer for the coaching staff, but how about that? Gotta love that. They're already adding a score like that with one more year of eligibility and someone that Peyton Pritchard knows how to play with. That's even better for the Oregon ducks. I'm pretty stoked that they're now adding another big name to the mix. You know, I, I'm worried, but it's getting better if you're a basketball fan this offseason for Oregon. And they actually already have visits scheduled for two more players. Shakur six seven forward from UNLV, is supposed to be visiting Oregon this week, or I think maybe he already did. Uh, He was injured for most of last season, but in eight games for the Rebels, averaged just about 11 points, almost nine rebounds and two assists. And as a junior, he averaged 14 and a half points and 10 boards and two assists a game. He shot almost 64% from the field. And that was in full season action when he wasn't injured. Obviously, if he decides to join the Ducks, he is going to help solidify the front court. And the front court is a weak spot for Oregon right now. But apparently he's looking at other schools like Seton Hall, Grand Canyon. All right. Come on, Shakur. This is an easy decision for you. (laughs) The facilities and coaches that you would have access to at Oregon are invaluable. I'm sure they showed him whatever they could to convince him, though. Uh, But cross your fingers, Ducks fans. Let's hope that Shakur Dweiston comes to Oregon And joins uh, an already shorthanded roster. Uh, Thankfully, once again, just getting another guy, Anthony Mathis. So starting to see some good news here. The second player scheduled to visit Eugene is Eugene Omorui. I hope I said that right. Rutgers leading scorer and rebounder from last year. Originally from Canada. And he led them with 14 points per game and averaged almost eight boards. So kid's a beast. He is 6'7", 235 pounds. He announced plans to transfer in late May and has already visited Texas A&M. That was actually earlier this week. To be clear, though, unfortunately, he is a sit-out transfer, and that means he wouldn't suit up until the 2020 season. Looking from the outside in, looks like Dana Altman is working really hard to try and line some guys up and get this roster working. Even if it is beyond this year, it's important after such a crazy, unexpected turnover, still mad, by the way, if anybody cares, uh former Oregon guard, Victor Bailey, Jr. Uh, he is committed to Tennessee. So what would he do? Enjoy your time in Tennessee. You still could have gotten a lot more minutes this year, even though your playing time decreased in the NCAA tournament. I know you didn't play at all in the sweet 16 game, but goodness, Victor Bailey, he has announced that he is headed to Tennessee and the SEC. That was according to his Instagram. So there you go, Ducks fans. You now know the future of one guy that didn't want to be on the Ducks anymore, didn't want to deal with any adversity. Uh, among all the drama, though, <laughs> I have to try to remind myself that Oregon has the right guy at the helm and Dana Altman. When he was hired back in 2010, the Ducks were an average program. Ernie Kent kind of had them at, okay status, but not really a major player on the national scale for recruits or attention from ESPN that often. I mean, now that Altman, just think about this. Now it's 2019. He's been here almost 10 years, a decade. And in that decade, he has transformed the ducks into one of the more popular programs in the country, a consistent winner, getting guys into the NBA, getting drafted and now has made the Ducks a huge player in recruiting. Since 2017, the Ducks have gotten three straight top 15 recruiting classes. I mean, as a fan, is there anything else that you could have asked for? The program is at a higher level now than it's ever been. So there is something to be excited about. And I just try to remind myself that, you know what? I think Dana Altman is steering the ship in the right direction. We're going to shift gears into football and talk about some bad news that Mario Cristobal got this week. Also, I'll try to figure out why national prognosticators are picking Oregon to lose one of the easiest games on their schedule. That more coming up. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for episode seven of the weekly Webfoot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is episode seven of the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToquack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. Give the show a five-star rating on iTunes if you like it. And be sure to follow me on Twitter. That is on the air, Jordan, with an O. All right, so we're transitioning into football talk now. Uh, There was a bit of recruiting news. But a lot of the last week has been spent looking ahead to the Ducks' actual season. So unfortunately, the Ducks suffering a bit of a setback this week. I was all excited about defensive back Chris Steele transferring from Florida to Oregon. And it's mostly because he's a super talented freshman that could not only add to the depth in the defensive backfield, but could also make an immediate impact. Well, it turns out that Chris Steele, after initially verbally committing to Oregon, tweeting out about it has changed his mind and will go to USC. Yup. He shunned the ducks to head off to one of the rival programs in the PAC 12. Like I said, he tweeted out his decision to come to Oregon, but that tweet as of now has been deleted and sources close to him claim that he is headed to USC. Uh, He was visiting USC this week. So while there isn't an official report out about this, the writing is on the wall. Sorry, Ducks fans. Uh, Chris Steele will be attending USC instead of Oregon. So as a Ducks fan, this gets me totally upset. But looking at the decision as an analyst and evaluator of talent, I don't think his loss is going to have much of an impact. For starters, he wasn't even in Eugene to begin with. So it's not like Steele's presence was something Mario Cristobal was depending on. His late arrival was a bonus, basically. And He may still not even be eligible to play this season for USC. Also, the Ducks are already pretty stacked. They got both starters returning at the quarterback position and beyond. Lenore is back. Thomas Graham Jr. Javon Holland coming back. So they have the depth there already. And I'm betting that Andy Avalos hadn't really planned on implementing steel into the defense much during his first year anyways. The football team situation is literally the opposite of the basketball team right now, just to try and make sense out of this. Returning 10 starters on offense, seven on D. The coaching staff's goal right now is to continue the growth and the camaraderie with this returning group of guys. It's not to try and bring in talented young kids with no college football experience to fill the gaps. So I mentioned that some of the national media are looking forward to the Ducks season. And someone from ESPN said something that I absolutely disagree with. Edward Ashoff, SEC reporter for the four letters, says he thinks Oregon's trap game this year is against Colorado on October 11th. Here's a quote. The Ducks head to Seattle to face Washington on October 19th for a game that will go a long way toward determining the Pac-12 North. But the week prior, Oregon will host a Colorado team that's under new leadership. No one knows what shape the Buffs will be in this fall, but they'll likely be playing with house money for most of the year. Quote continues, seeing them right before such a huge game could impact the Ducks' mid-season focus, end quote. Now, if you remember last year, the Buffaloes started off pretty hot, 5-0. and After that, seven straight losses ended up costing Mike McIntyre his job. I mean, they have a roster full of returning guys, but a new head coach in Mel Turner, a defensive guru, has coached all around the NFL and in college, uh, was at Georgia running their defense most recently. Call me crazy, but I don't think that kind of situation breeds a team that really is set to wreck havoc in their conference. The current Colorado football team, their situation kind of sounds like they need to spend Time finding their identity again, similar to what Mario Cristobal and the Ducks went through after really Taggart jumped ship. So I'm really not trying to be hard on Colorado. That's just where they're at right now. And even still, the Buffalo's current roster isn't even close to being as talented as the Ducks. So I totally disagree with Edward Ashoff. People might say I'm just being a homer, but Duck fans, Justin Herbert is a Heisman Trophy candidate. They have their entire offensive line coming back, coming off a nine and four season. This isn't the year Oregon needs to worry about trap games. They just need to focus about coming out strong each week, playing to their full potential, playing a full 60 minutes. Because if they do every single game and prepare the right way, this is bold, but I predict they will be Pac-12 champs and they'll be in the college football playoff at the end of the year. You mark my words right now, Duck fans. And speaking of this year, you better start making those tailgating and barbecue plans. Times have been released for four of Oregon's games this season. So here's what we know about start times for the Ducks. Actually, uh, just mentioned one, Oregon and Colorado, October 11th. That's actually a Friday night, 7 p.m. at Austin Stadium. Going to be broadcast on FS1. Uh, The start to the season, Oregon, August 31st to open up against Auburn in Arlington, Texas. That is at 4.30 p.m. on ABC. That's actually, I think we already knew that. That's their uh, evening slate game. Uh, The one that everyone's gonna be watching around the nation. The next game we know the start time for is next week, September 7th. That's against Nevada at Austin. It's a 4.30 p.m. game on Pac-12 Network. And the week after that, Oregon hosting Montana at Autzen, September 14th, 7.45 p.m., and that will be on Pac-12 Network. So the season opener against Auburn, I should mention, this is only the second meeting between the two programs ever and the first since the 2010 National Championship game, obviously. Also, this game is Oregon's first against an SEC opponent since they beat Tennessee, actually slammed them, 59 to 14 in at And uh, that was during the 2013 season. That was a fun game. So definitely a lot to look forward to as we get towards football season. At least we know some of what's going on when, and we'll definitely be talking a lot more in depth about the ducks as we get further into the summer. So to wrap up the show this week, it's time for this week in ducks history. Uh, this edition is going to be spent celebrating the career of legendary long distance runner, Steve Prefontaine, uh, died of course at 24 years old, but already had a legendary career with Oregon and beyond had two feature films, as well as a documentary made about his life. One of the premier track meets in the world, the Prefontaine classic is held annually in Eugene in his honor. Um, I found an article, Uh, this appeared in the New York Times shortly after his death back in 1975, and I wanted to read an excerpt from it. Steve Prefontaine, America's finest distance runner and an outspoken critic of the track and field establishment, died early yesterday morning in an automobile accident in Eugene, Oregon. The 24-year-old Prefontaine had won a 5,000-meter race about four hours before at Hayward Field in Eugene, his favorite track. He then attended a party for six Finnish athletes he had brought to America to compete. After taking a woman friend home, he was driving on a residential street at about 12.30 a.m. His convertible jumped a curb, hit a rock in Bakeman, and flipped. Prefontaine was pinned under the car. Five foot 9 145-pound Prefontaine. One of the most popular trackmen was born in Coos Bay, Oregon, and confined most of his competitive career to the West Coast. He held every American outdoor distance record above 2,000 meters, finished fourth in the 5,000 at the 1972 Olympics in Munich, and evoked loyalty and admiration from followers. That was from the New York Times. I mean, Steve Prefontaine was one of the most highly regarded long-distance runners in track and field history. At the time of his death in 1975, he held every single American outdoor track record between two and 10,000 meters. He was a beast. Let's take a look quickly at his personal bests in different events. Uh, One-mile run, 354.6 seconds, and that's actually only 11 seconds over... The world record right now the 1500 meters he ran in three minutes and 38 seconds the 2000 five minutes and 1.4 seconds that was a record at the time 3000 meters seven minutes and 42.6 seconds also a record at the time two miles eight minutes and 18.4 seconds a record three miles 12 minutes and 51.4 seconds a record in america 5,000 meters, 13 minutes and 22.2 seconds. Also, the six mile, 26 minutes and 51.8 seconds. That was an American record. And that was actually done while running the 10,000 meters, which he also held the American record for at 27 minutes and 43.6 seconds. You know, looking at Steve Prefontaine, I guess his one major career disappointment was failing to win a medal in the 5,000 meters in the 1972 Olympics, but he is mostly remembered for his accomplishments as well as his outspoken opinion about the way athletes were treated by the American organization that they competed for in track and field. It's hard to believe that 44 years ago this week, the university of Oregon and the world lost one of its most beloved and legendary athletes, Steve Prefontaine. He really helped put Oregon athletics on the map, even if some of that effect wasn't felt until 30 years after he passed away. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the weekly Web Foot Review. I hope you enjoyed episode seven. Keep checking back up on the podcast. We're going to be starting our team-by-team Pac-12 football preview here in a couple of weeks. This has been a fun episode, though. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and addictedtoquack.com. Go Ducks! The Weekly Webfront Review Podcast.